You are Locked On Packers, your daily Green Bay Packers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. R-E-L-A-X. Relax. We're going to be okay. It is time. It is time. I feel like we can run the table. We're going to do it. You are Locked On Packers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am Peter Bukowski, and I cover the Packers for SB Nation. I cover the NFL around the internet, and you can follow me on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked On Packers. You can like us on Facebook. You can subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, on iTunes, on Google Play. Wherever you find podcasts, you'll find Locked On Packers, the number one. Packers podcast in the state of Wisconsin and the show for fans who know what happened. They want to know why and how we are going to take your questions today. Speaking of the why and the how, and there's a number of really good ones that I want to get to, but there was a cluster of them that I want to start with about the receiver position. We're going to get to some, some draft thoughts. Uh, There was a question that phrased the, the draft and the grades around the draft in a really interesting way, and I, I think it's worth discussing. And then uh, another interesting question about the defense posed that we're going to get to at the end of the show. But let's start with this discussion about the receivers, and let's start here. Hey, how you doing, Peter? Big fan of the podcast. This is Matthew from Brooklyn, New York, and I was calling to ask your opinion about why everyone is so hung up about not drafting a wide receiver in the draft. I feel like that we have plenty of wide receivers that have full potential to have an outbreak season this year. Just wanted to know your thoughts. Thanks a lot. Appreciate you. This is something that has really become pervasive in the the NFL media culture, and that is I, I, I've, I've listened to it all over on talking head shows, on sports talk radio, on podcasts. I've read it in columns. And there is this insistence that Green Bay is somehow devoid of playmakers. And it's like all of it, like last year, everyone thought going into the season, oh, they've got a good group. Jimmy Graham, Devontae Adams, Randall Cobb, Geronimo Allison, Aaron Jones, Mercedes Lewis. And then a couple injuries happened. And all of a sudden, now Aaron Rodgers desperately needs weapons on the outside. I mean, based on what exactly that he didn't play particularly up to his standards last season? I mean, I don't understand. I, I, I just don't understand. I don't understand. And we had conversations leading up to the draft that they either should add blue chip talent or not add anyone because Equinemius St. Brown, Marquez Valdez Scantling, and Jamon Moore are the developmental guys on this roster. They have a bona fide number one receiver. They have a tight end that they like in this offense, Jimmy Graham. They have another tight end who fits with what they want out of the, the two tight end sets that Green Bay is going to run a lot with Matt LaFleur and Mercedes Lewis. And then they have two developmental tight ends, Robert Tanyan, and then their third round pick, Jay Sternberger, whose name I pronounced correctly on the first try again. I promise I will not congratulate myself every time from here on out. For now, It is the baseline now that I'm going to get it right. We have the Jay Sternberger rookie orientation coming next week. So that is going to be here. Uh, there's the, the Zadarius Smith 
free agent show is coming next week as well. We're doubling up. Normally, I wouldn't I wouldn't want to take those uh, those sort of you know bottle episode shows and have them all in the same week, but I'm I'm behind on the Zadarius Smith thing, so we're, we're gonna we're gonna double up next week. Uh, but the, from the receivers again, this is something that you know Equinemius St. Brown, if he goes back, he's a second round pick probably. And I understand one of the reasons he fell is the attitude, and he's a he's a unique guy, and you know is the work ethic there. I think that was something that that Aaron Rodgers was trying to to call out early in the training camp process. The talent is there. We saw Geronimo Allison and what he was able to do early in the season. We know now Devontae Adams is one of the five or eight best receivers in the league. So this idea that Green Bay suddenly has no one to throw to, I, I just I don't understand it. And then, then, then when you think, okay, they're going to play with a lot more two tight end sets, Jimmy Graham, Mercedes Lewis is going to get more targets in this offense than he did under Mike McCarthy. And I think you're going to see the running backs be a much bigger part of this offense than they had been previously. Aaron Jones is going to get more touches in the passing game. Jamal Williams is going to get more touches in the passing game. And maybe even Dexter Williams, depending on whether they trust him to block and do the other things that he's going to need to do. His juice, his ability to create plays, big plays in the run game can translate to the passing game if they get him screens. And, and they can get him underneath passing routes with the ball in his hands. He can go create. That's where he's best. This idea that they were devoid of playmakers, I just, I don't see it. And I, I guess I don't understand it. There are a couple other interesting facets of this discussion. And one of them is illustrated here. Hey, Peter. What's happening? This is Matt from California. I just want to say I'm a newly found fan of your show. I love what you're doing. Um, I enjoy listening to you on the way to work every morning. Um, I also want to see what you think of Jake Kumaro possibly, potentially, being our slot guy. I like what he did in training camp last year. His connection with Aaron Rodgers was something that was very intriguing. Um, if you can touch on that a little bit on your show. Have a good day. Thank you. So look, I I understand the appeal in this situation. Jake Kumaro fits the mold of a slot receiver better in Matt LaFleur's offense than he did in Mike McCarthy's offense. He's just not more likely to make this roster than the draft picks. And you ha- okay, so Devontae Adams and Geronimo Allison are going to make the team. We're pretty sure that Jamon Moore, Equinemia St. Brown, and Marquez Aldis-Scantling are going to make the team. That's already five guys. So how many more are they going to keep? If Jake Kumaro can force his way onto this team as a, as a true receiver, then someone else has to pick up the special team's value. The reason that Kumaro is fighting to make this team, and we're going to get to this point in just a second, is... Can he be a good enough receiver now, right now? And does he have enough potential upside to justify keeping on this team when you have MVS, when you have EQ, and when you have Jamon? And remember, after last year's draft, these are Brian Gutekind's guys. So even though they're day three picks, those are guys that he drafted and he brought in. 
So is he going to be more loyal to them or an undrafted free agent who was not even drafted by this team? I mean, I think we know if we can follow the leader when it comes to what Ted Thompson did, he he always prioritized his own picks. So, you know, what... What is the role for Kumaro? I don't know at this point. I think he's a, he's a good route runner, and he created late in, the, late in the year when he got on the field. I mean, he immediately was a contributor on this offense, but you know what he wasn't? A starter. So despite everything that we saw in the preseason and all the training camp hype, he gets hurt, he comes back. Did he really eat into the playing time of anyone? He, he didn't. He really didn't. And so that tells you, I think, that this offense and this team is prioritizing the the development of these young, talented players. If we're talking about talent, he's just not as talented as those other guys. And so if they can take a little bit of a step forward, if Jamon Moore progresses in the NFL the way that he did in college at Missouri, he has an opportunity to to be a quality player. I I mean, I know a lot of people think that his, his season was lost, you fall behind early as a rookie. Those things compound, and they and they get exponentially worse. So if you're behind by week two of training camp, you might just be SOL. And I think that's what happened with him. He lost his confidence, and the quarterbacks lost their confidence in him. The coaches lost their confidence in him, and then you're just screwed. So can he come back in year two reinvigorated? Because he's clearly behind MVS. He's clearly behind EQ, and both of those guys, I think, are are more suited to this offense than Jake Kumaro, even if Jake Kumaro is, you know, a fan favorite and all that stuff. EQ is a legitimate talent. He's a legitimate starting receiver talent, and, and MVS has dynamic downfield speed and showed plenty of flashes last year. I mean, plenty of flashes. And and I think a little bit more nuance in his game than, than certainly I thought he had. So uh, this is an uphill battle for, for Jake, not just to, to be the slot man in this offense, but to make this team. And that dovetails with this next question. Hey, Peter, Joel Sharkey out of Akron, Ohio here. First of all, thank you for doing the show. I listen to it daily on my commute to college. Thank you, Joel. Stay in school. Uh, I hope you're studying something interesting. Wondering what your projections are for the guys that are on the bubble of the 53-man roster. Guys like Lancaster, Kumaro, the lower draft picks in this and last year's draft. Also, Kumaro versus Trevor Davis. Thanks. Always locked on. So this is the question that I posed earlier with Kumaro. If it is the case that the last two roster spots come down to Kumaro and Trevor Davis, who makes this team? Well, one of them is the best return man on this roster as of right now, and one of them isn't. And that special team's value matters. I'm not ready to have discussions about the, you know, the other fringe players on this team, but Green Bay has a history of, unless they are disasters, whether it's in the, the classroom or on the practice field in the exhibition season, they're going to keep those day three picks, especially this year's class. And I, I love this year's class. Kingsley Kiki is going to have to play. He's going to be in this defensive line rotation. And Dexter Williams is going to be the third running back on this team. The Packers don't have a ton of inside linebacker options. Ty Summers is going to make this team. And then you go back to last year. I mean, those receivers are, are locks to make this team. So... Who are the odd men out? Who are the guys 
who are getting cut. If you look at last year's roster, you bring in a draft class, you bring in these free agents. Now there is some some exits via free agency as well, but there aren't that many roster spots up for grabs. So who are the guys that are going to be cut, I think, is a better question. That's a, that's a question that we're certainly going to get to, the veteran cuts, because they're coming. I mean, they're going to be one or two guys that get cut that we go, wait, they cut who? Just to make room on this roster. And I don't think it's going to be Lane Taylor. I don't think it's going to be Blake Martinez. I don't think it's going to be Josh Jones, though I think those are players that that have unfortunately become the whipping boys for a lot of Packer fans. The question with these receivers is going to be what they can bring outside of just offense, the bubble guys. And that's basically right now that's Kumaro and Davis. But it also means if one of these undrafted free agents comes in and can give them something as a returner, maybe they can push to get on this team. We'll see. Those are things that you know I think are going to shake themselves out over time. Six receivers is the max. They're not going to keep seven again. I just I just don't see how they can, especially given how infrequently I think they're going to be playing a lot of receivers. I just don't see them using that same tact in 2019. And speaking of tact, it's always important to use some when we're having conversations about sex, especially conversations about good sex, what you like, what you don't like, and how to get the most out of every sexual experience. Now you can increase your performance and get that extra confidence boost in bed that maybe you need with BlueChew.com. That's blue like the color blue. They bring you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis so you know they work. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. And since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as a pill. So you can be ready whenever an opportunity arises. Blue Chew is prescribed online and shipped straight to your door in a discreet package. So no in-person doctor visits, no waiting in the pharmacy, and best of all, no more awkwardness. They're made in the USA. And since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, they're cheaper than at a pharmacy. Plus, right now, we've got a special deal for our listeners. Go to BlueChew.com and get your first shipment free. What is better than free? When you use our special promo code locked on, just pay $5 shipping. That's blue, like the color blue, B-L-U-E, chew.com. Promo code locked on to try it free. Blue Chew is the better, faster, cheaper choice. And we thank them for sponsoring Locked On Packers. So this was an interesting question uh, to me anyway. And it was it was not a way that I had thought about grading this draft or analyzing it or or breaking it down. Hey, Peter, JD from Tallahassee, Florida here. My initial reaction to the Green Bay draft picks are of the usual style, confused and naive. I may now, I may know the big picture and I'm curious as to how you, you think Green Bay would grade their own draft. Considering that we know as their plan for the draft, did they stick to it, reach, acquire, a lot of draft experts agreed that there were better graded players available to draft at 12. I also was surprised by the addition of Elton Jenkins at 44, considering I had not heard much of him valued by Green Bay. Draft experts and hosts feel differently than football personnel in the Green Bay building about players and value. I just have, I just wonder if they have a poor draft given what was available. Thanks, and as always, go Pack Go. 
I don't know if the, there were some chubby fingers in there. I, I can relate as someone with chubby fingers. I don't know if this text was sent after a couple cocktails, but uh, I, I appreciate it. I've, I've recorded more than one podcast after a couple cocktails, so I don't, I don't blame you. But uh, this, this concept to me is fascinating. How does Green Bay think it did in this draft? Did they come out of it with what they wanted? Did they think that they got good value in the positions where they were drafting? And obviously, without knowing their board, we can't say for sure how they felt about their value, right? So, you know, maybe they thought Rashawn Gary was the eighth best player in the draft and they picked him at 12. I think, you know, when you when you look at how fast they made their their draft, I and mean, this is this was something that they didn't even consider a trade down. They consider every opportunity. No, no. This draft pick was made quickly. They targeted Rashawn Gary. And and Brian Goodkin said since February. Since he blew up the combine. And I think I don't think we should make too much of that as to say, oh, well, they just picked him because of the measurables. No, I think the measurables solidified for them the potential that he had. And they said, look, that guy, if we can coach him up, we think we can get him at 12. And if we can if we can unlock some of that potential, we can have a special player. He was someone that they were really excited to get clearly. Okay, there's that part of it. All right, next player, Darnell Savage. They traded up and make him the first defensive back taken. Not just the first safety, the first defensive back full stop. Cornerbacks generally viewed as more valuable players. Now, this was not a great cornerback class. It was a relatively deep safety class. And I think both of those are instructive here. This was a deep class. Green Bay could have stood pat at 30 and probably taken a player they really liked. They could have had Juan Thornhill at 30. They could have had Nasir Adderley at 30. Instead, they waited. They traded up. And they got the guy that they felt was the best. That they felt was the best guy, not just the best safety, the best defensive back in this draft. And I think part of that is they felt like Baltimore was going to take him if they didn't. That makes sense. They loved and love Darnell Savage. You listened to the show yesterday. I think it is easy for you as a fan. It was it was certainly easy for me as someone who was just watching Savage before the draft to say, man, this guy would be just dead solid perfect for Green Bay. After that, you know, I understand the questions about Elton Jenkins and, you know, he was not a name that we heard a lot. What we talked about on the show and what we talked about on the the show immediately following, but the show with Brandon Thorne as well when we broke down Jenkins was, you know, Green Bay doesn't generally, and, and not even generally, almost ever draft interior offensive linemen to play interior offensive line. They draft offensive tackles and they move them inside. And that worked for Josh Sitton, it worked for TJ Lang, and it worked for J.C. Trutter. I mean, they have a, a long history of doing this and being successful doing it. That's why Elton Jenkins wasn't on the radar. It's not that he wasn't a good player. I mean, go back and listen to the show we did immediately after the draft on that, on that day two. I had Elton Jenkins as a top 25 player. He's really good. Because I thought he could play center, I thought he could play guard, and I thought he could play tackle in a pinch. 
Green Bay said outright they think he can play all five positions, and I think they're right. Brandon Thorne said he thought that that Jenkins was one of the five best offensive linemen on this roster and that maybe he was better suited to be the right guard on this team over Billy Turner, who the Packers just gave a bunch of money. Now, maybe that, that, that says more about Turner than it does about Jenkins, but I think it says a little bit about both. If you're looking at this from the perspective of, oh, well, you know, they, they, he was unexpected. Unexpected doesn't mean bad. It just means unexpected. Sometimes unexpected picks are the best picks. Josh Sitton was an unexpected pick. Turns out he was really good. I mean, really good. I don't think, you know, being unfamiliar with a player should be licensed to say it was a bad pick. That's one of the reasons why I want to do these series. It's one of the reasons why I think the rookie orientation series is so important so you can get to know these players. It's it is the the pre-draft hype should not be taken as, you know, a a gold star for these players. I don't think you know, all of these these connections and the whispers about what's going on with teams and who they're interested in and, and who the popular players are should be perceived as somehow rubber stamping the quality of these players. It's not. And so the fact that, you know, you're talking about a center, and I understand that that's not a, a glamour position, but the center who can play guard and maybe play tackle in a pinch that's a really valuable position for the Packers and was a position of need for the Packers. So, you know, we know that tight end was on their radar. We know tight end was a need position for them. Everything else after that is sort of like gravy. I mean, I love the Dexter Williams pick. Um, you know, Kingsley Kiki was someone that that could have gone higher. Ty Summers is a flyer on an athlete. So if you're if you're wondering how the team is valuing their own draft picks. I mean, I think they have to believe that they hit this one out of the park. And and maybe you'll say, well, teams always feel that way, and, and it's rarely true. Well, that is true. But that's how this works. And we won't know for sure for a couple years. And unfortunately for us, that's also how this works. So I want to close with this just because it's a it's a quick hitter and it's interesting and I don't want to spend a ton of time on it, but I think it's just worth it's worth asking. It's worth talking about for a second. Hey, Peter, this is Mario. Question that I have today is: um, I know that the Packers love man-to-man being their primary defense, <clears throat> and I know that Mike Patton loves to send the different blitzes from everywhere. But is it legit for me to think that we should switch to a kind of more of a zone defense considering the fact that we actually have legit pass rush and also do you think that it would be better that way just because we have more of a ball hawking defense that can just pretty much just keep their eye on the quarterback and just jump on everything kind of have the birds do it thanks for your feedback stay locked on so you know i understand the idea here you say okay well now that this team can rush with just the guys they have and you don't need to get creative with the blitzes, maybe you play more zone coverage. The problem with that is really only, and I think Jair Alexander, Josh Jackson, Kevin King, all those guys can play in zone. The The, the issue here is how tenable is zone coverage in the modern NFL? The Colts played a cover two 
the reason that worked is Darius Leonard is a unique and and incredible player. He makes that defense work. And Matt Everfluss was awesome in Indy last year. That Tampa 2 had become outmoded in the NFL, and, and he brought it back and made it work. Not a lot of teams run cover three anymore. The Seattle team... You know, they're they're still doing it. They had incredible talent to do it, but most teams play at the very least a mix of man and zone. And I think I understand the instinct here. You've got some ball hawks, you've got some guys who are can read and react. But just because you're playing man coverage doesn't mean you're not gonna have opportunities to create turnovers. And I don't think you should get bogged down in worrying about turnovers. Because it's not about creating interceptions, but it's about creating stops. And it's about getting the ball back to your offense. So, yeah, interceptions are great. But interceptions are incredibly variant. Even the best teams at creating turnovers are going to get way more third down stops in a game than they are going to create turnovers. So it's not to say that you shouldn't want to create turnovers. Turnovers are great. And they're impactful. And they're meaningful. And they're, they're momentum swinging potentially. I mean, there are myriad reasons there i go again there are a plethora of reasons to want to have interceptions and to want to you to want to give your playmakers opportunities to to be in position to make those plays it is also the case that zone if you don't get a pass rush can make you vulnerable unless you have an incredible group of talent behind them you know we saw ultimately what happened in indianapolis they couldn't get enough pressure on patrick mahomes and you're just going to get beat in zone coverage. In man coverage, you can create a little bit more disruption. You can create a little bit more of a, a rhythm problem for an offense, even if you can't get home in you know two, two and a half seconds. That's much tougher to do with zone coverage. Now, that's not to say that that you know every team should be playing man all the time in every situation. No. But it's, I think if you're, if you're ever just one thing in the modern NFL, you're going to fail. And that's the reality of, of, you know, offenses are just too good now. So it's an interesting question. You know, I understand the, the logic here, especially someone like Josh Jackson is probably going to be better in, as his own corner. And Jair Alexander, his speed, his instincts, his playmaking, maybe he's better as his own corner. I get it. Uh, but I, I just don't think it's tenable uh, here and it's not what Mike Patton wants to do so you know it's almost moot because it doesn't matter that's not how they're going to play we're going to be back tomorrow and that'll be our last show of the week by the time you listen to our show tomorrow uh, there will have been Bucks game one I'll be at it for Dime Magazine so look out for a piece from me about that if you're a Bucks fan or just an NBA fan or just a sports fan or hey you just like me and you like to you know pay attention to the work that I do that would be great all those things are good reasons to read the things that I write. Remember, you can follow me on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked on Packers. Like us on Facebook. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, on Spotify, on Google Play, wherever you find podcasts. You'll find Locked on Packers, the number one Packers podcast in the state of Wisconsin. And anytime you want to be a part of this show, we do this regularly. We're going to do it even more in the off season. So send me those questions. Whatever just rattling around in your brain Packers related send it to me at 
3775 so you can always stay locked on Packers. 